0: A thousand miles up the Nile, Section Eight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A thousand miles up the Nile by Amelia B. Edwards, Chapter Three, Cairo to Bedrashane, Part Two. AND NOW, AS THE AFTERNOON WANES, WE DRAW NEAR TO A DENSE, WIDESPREADING FOREST OF STATELY DATE-PALMS ON THE WESTERN BANK, KNOWING THAT BEYOND THEM, THOUGH UNSEEN, LIE THE MOUNDS OF MEMPHIS AND ALL THE WONDERS OF SAKARA. THEN THE SUN GOES DOWN BEHIND THE LIBYAN HILLS, AND THE PALMS STAND OUT BLACK AND BRONZED AGAINST A GOLDEN SKY, AND THE PYRAMIDS LEFT FAR BEHIND LOOK GRAY AND GHOSTLY IN THE DISTANCE. Presently when it is quite dusk and the stars are out we moor for the night at Bedrishain which is the nearest point for visiting Saqqara there is a railway station here and also a considerable village both lying back about half a mile from the river and the distance from cairo which is reckoned at fifteen miles by the line is probably about eighteen by water such was our first day on the nile And, perhaps, before going farther on our way, I ought to describe the Philae, and introduce Rais Hassan and his crew. A dahabia, at the first glance, is more like a civic or an Oxford University barge than anything in the shape of a boat with which we in England are familiar. It is shallow and flat-bottomed, and is adapted for either sailing or rowing. It carries two masts, a big one near the prow, and a smaller one at the stern. The cabins are on deck, and occupy the after-part of the vessel, and on the roof of the cabins forms the raised deck, or open-air drawing-room already mentioned. This upper deck is reached from the lower deck by two little flights of steps, and is the exclusive territory of the passengers. The lower deck is the territory of the crew. A dahabiyah is, in fact, not very unlike the Noah's Ark of our childhood with this difference. The habitable part, instead of occupying the middle of the vessel, is all at one end, top-heavy and many-windowed, while the foredeck is not more than six feet above the level of the water. The hold, however, is under the lower deck, and so counterbalances the weight at the other end. Not to multiply comparisons unnecessarily, I may say that a large dahabia reminds one of old pictures of the busantar, especially when the men are at their oars. The kitchen which is a mere shed like a dutch oven in shape and contains only a charcoal stove and a row of stew pans stands between the big mast and the prow removed as far as possible from the passengers' cabins in this position the cook is protected from a favourable wind by his shed but in the case of a contrary wind he is screened by an awning how under even the most favourable circumstances these men can serve up the elaborate dinners which are the pride of a nile cook's heart is sufficiently wonderful, but how they achieve the same results, when wind-storms and sand-storms are blowing, and every breath is laden with the fine grit of the desert, is a little short of miraculous. Thus far all daharbijas are alike. The cabin arrangements differ, however, according to the size of the boat, and it must be remembered that in describing the philae I describe a dahabia of the largest build her total length from stem to stern being just one hundred feet, and the width of her upper deck at the broadest part a little short of twenty. Our floor being on a somewhat lower level than the men's deck, we went down three steps to the entrance door, on each side of which was an external cupboard, one serving as a storeroom and the other as a pantry. This door led into a passage out of which opened four sleeping cabins, two on each side, These cabins measured about eight feet in length and four and a half in width, and contained a bed, a chair, a fixed washing-stand, a looking-glass against the wall, a shelf, a row of books, and under each bed two large drawers for clothes. At the end of this little passage another door opened into the dining-saloon, a spacious, cheerful room, some twenty-three or twenty-four feet long, situate in the widest part of the boat, and lighted by four windows on each side and a skylight. The paneled walls and ceiling were painted in white picked out with gold, a cushioned divan covered with a smart woolen reps ran along each side, and a gay Brussels carpet adorned the floor. The dining-table stood in the center of the room, and there was ample space for a piano, two little bookcases, and several chairs. The window-curtains and portieres were of the same reps as the divan, the prevailing colors being scarlet and orange. Add a couple of mirrors and gilt frames, a vase of flowers on the table, for we were rarely without flowers of some sort, even in Nubia, where our daily bouquet had to be made with a few bean blossoms and castor-oil berries, plenty of books, the gentlemen's guns and sticks in one corner, and the hats of all the party hanging in the spaces between the windows, and it will be easy to realize the homely, habitable look of our general sitting-room." Another door and passage, opening from the upper end of the saloon, led to three more sleeping-rooms, two of which were single and one double, a bathroom, a tiny back staircase leading to the upper deck, and the stern cabin-saloon. This last, following the form of the stern, was semicircular, lighted by eight windows and surrounded by a divan. Under this, as under the saloon divans, there ran a row of deep drawers, which, being fairly divided, held our clothes, wine, and books the entire length of the dahabia being exactly one hundred feet, I take the cabin part to have occupied about fifty-six or fifty-seven feet, that is to say, about six or seven feet over the exact half, and the lower deck to have measured the remaining forty-three feet. But these dimensions, being given from memory, are approximate. For the crew there was no sleeping accommodation, whatever, unless they chose to creep into the hold among the luggage and packing-cases but this they never did. They just rolled themselves up at night, heads and all, in rough brown blankets, and lay about the lower deck like dogs. The ra'is, or captain, the steersman and twelve sailors, the dragoman, head cook, assistant cook, two waiters, and the boy who cooked for the crew, completed our equipment. Ra'is Hassan, short, stern-looking, authoritative, was a Cairo Arab. The dragoman, Elias Talhami, was a Syrian of Beirut. The two waiters, Michael and Habib, and the head-cook, a wizened old cordon bleu named Hassan Bedoui, were also Syrians. The steersmen and five of the sailors were from Thebes, four belonged to a place near Philae, one came from a village opposite Kam Ambo, one from Cairo, and two were Nubians from Aswan. They were of all shades, from yellowish-bronze to a hue not far removed from black, and though at the first mention of it nothing more incongruous can well be imagined than a sailor in petticoats and a turban, yet these men in their loose blue gowns, bare feet, and white muslin turbans, looked not only picturesque, but dressed exactly as they should be. They were, for the most part, fine young men, slender but powerful, square in the shoulders, like the ancient Egyptian statues, with the same slight legs and long flat feet. More docile, active, good-tempered, friendly fellows never pulled an oar. Simple and trustful as children, frugal as acarites, they worked cheerfully from sunrise to sunset, sometimes towing the dahabia on a rope all day long, like barge-horses, sometimes punting for hours, which is the hardest work of all, yet always singing at their task, always smiling when spoken to, and made as happy as princes with a handful of coarse Egyptian tobacco— or a bundle of fresh sugar canes bought for a few pence by the riverside. We came to know them all by name, Mehemet Ali, Salome, Khalifa, Riskali, Hassan, Musa, and so on, and as none of us ever went on shore without one or two of them to act as guards and attendants, and as the poor fellows were constantly getting bruised hands or feet and coming to the upper deck to be doctored, a feeling of genuine friendliness was speedily established between us. End of section 8